0: Moses, the way of an intercessor. Lesson four. Father, we thank you once again for the entrance of your word. You said again, the entrance of your word brings light brings understanding to the simple. You said, Father, that you abide in unapproachable light. And Lord, I know the more time we spend with you, the more light shines upon our own paths. We're able to see better, see more clearly as you order our steps. We're just simply able to see better, Father, what your will is and what you want us to do. So, Father, I ask again today, uh, would you please bless this session as well? Would you please come and guide us into more truth? Holy Spirit, again, every time, we never take it for granted. We yield to you. We ask for your help. We declare our dependence upon you. We have need of you. We really do. We have need of you to speak to us as individuals through these scriptures. Regardless of what I may be teaching, we give you the right, Holy Spirit, to teach us individually, whatever you feel is necessary. So we yield ourselves to you, Holy One. We say, please come and teach us. We invite you. I want you to know how welcome you are in my life and in the lives of these people. We want you to teach us, instruct us in the way that we should go. So we ask for that, Father, and we we believe right now as we pray that we receive that as, as so in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. During the break, I was looking over the notes from the last session. Please do go over those last two pages uh, because of all the information that's on the outline that I never got to. If you would do that, I'd appreciate it because it will be helpful to you. But right now, we're going to look at, basically, Exodus 15, 16, and 17. We're not going to read all of the chapters, but we're going to look at some of the points that are here that I feel are important for us. Top of the outline, the lessons from these chapters are many, the most graphic being that Moses and God's people are to learn God's desire for daily dependence upon him. And again, there really isn't going to be anything new here, per se, because, again, as I said that last hour, there's nothing new. Uh, God's patterns remain the same. God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, he never changes. So his way into our life never changes. His pattern for our life never changes. It's just that simple. If we would just bow to it and surrender to it and understand it, because he, he wants to show himself strong. So I've got on here point A, Exodus 15, 23 to 26. As the, as the people of God continue their many murmurings against Moses, God brings one of the first prophetic signs of the future Messiah to introduce his desire to heal his people, so much so that he makes it a part of his own sacred name. So now in chapter 15, the very first part of chapter 15, the first several verses, is indeed what they call the Song of Moses. There was after the deliverance through the mighty through the Red Sea, for the Spirit of God did what he did there in all of Egypt, like it says, uh, all of the Egyptian chariots were drowned in the sea when the waters came back. It says in verse 1 of chapter 15, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider or its chariots has he thrown into the sea. It's another song there. I'm going to come down from verse, start at verse 17, just as the song finishes. It says, You will bring them in to the land Well, I'll read from verse 15. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, renowned for strength, trembling takes hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away little by little. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are as still as a stone. Till your people pass by and over into Canaan, O Lord. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased you know what? I was reading that afresh this morning. Can you imagine that? Again, I read that this morning and I shook my own head and I thought, it's so true how far we have fallen when you really realize that the testimony God's people were to carry, that they walked in such strength, such proximity to God, that people's round about them, the testimony was, testimony was they were as still as stone. I mean, they just simply didn't want to move or act or do anything because of the revelation of how strong this God was that was with Israel. Verse 17, you will bring them into the land and plant them in your own mountain, the place, O Lord, you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Verse 19, for the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the Israelites walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam responded to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously and is highly exalted. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. It says, Then Moses led Israel onward from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days, thirty-three miles, into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its waters, for they were bitter. Therefore it was called Marah, or bitterness. The people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which he cast into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, saying, If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and will do what is right in his sight, and will listen to and obey his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then it says, And they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. Kind of makes me laugh. I wrote this in the reference in the side of my Bible a long time ago. Verse 20, I put, They sing, and then a little below that, a, little below that, a few verses below that, I put, They snivel. They went from singing, to, from singing to sniveling. That's how quick we are, we are too, aren't we? But then back to the outline. I'm going to try to move quicker so I can actually cover it. The problem was bitter waters. As the people cry at Moses, Moses cries to the Lord. And again, that's so simple, but right there. When people cry to us, you know, our helping of them is going to be in our crying to the Lord, not crying back at them. The problem was bitter waters. Now, the solution was a tree. And, of course, any good Bible college will tell you that this was one of the first messianic promises because the tree is a type of the cross. So the bitter waters of life, the bitter waters of any of our experiences, are only going to be made whole when the cross comes in contact with them. So right here, this is one of the first messianic promises, realistically, because, again, God shows them a tree. The waters are bitter. And, of course, we know our lives, our spirits were dead before Christ came into our spirit. But when Christ came, the bitter, water, bitter waters were made sweet. He took out of us the dead, and he brought into us the life. So all through the passages of Scripture, this is what it teaches us. So the problem was bitter waters, the solution is a tree, the type of the cross upon which every price will be paid to redeem all mankind from all its sin and troubles. The promise that God gives is that if you will follow my instructions, and you will consistently exp- you will consistently, excuse me, the promise is that if you follow my instructions, that you will consistently experience my provision in this area. He said, because my, I am the Lord God that healeth thee. This is where, again, Jehovah Rapha. That's where the phrase Jehovah Rapha comes in. The first expression of his, of his uh, desire to heal his people. So now if we just jump to Exodus 16, like I said, I want to move quickly because some of the things that I want to get to. In Exodus chapter 16, but again, even in that, if I, even as I tell you to turn back, remember, like I said, Moses is being trained. And even in that, again, you've you've got to see what's happening to Moses. You've got to read between the lines. This man, all these miracles have happened through the the wielding of this rod. He's the one that was in Egypt. All the, the great plagues that came, everything else, the Red Sea, all these experiences. And yet consistently, Moses is being trained to have faith in God, that it's not about him. In these bitter waters, he's listening. He's learning to listen to God and to obey the instructions of God. Uh, you've heard me say this many, many times again, but remember when, God, when God's people pray, normally the way God's people get answered is by God giving them something to do. He gives them a strategy. Like I said, he doesn't just heal the waters. See, this is, again, what began to strike my life 15, 20 years ago when I really began to see, again, if God is sovereign after the manner that people have been, used to teach me that he was sovereign, why doesn't God just show up and do stuff indiscriminately? Why doesn't God just do it? But again, as you read the Bible, I don't know how anybody can deny this truth that God doesn't just do things on his own. God has to find somebody that will obey him. For God to do the supernatural part, humanity has to do something in the natural. I mean, over and over again, we see that. You just can't get away from that. So people have to get free from this thinking, you see, that God will just do it if it's God's will, if it's God's will, if it's God's will. That's not the way it works. A lot of things are God's will that never come to pass because people don't, cooperate intelligently with what God's Word says. You have to cooperate with these things. they are spiritual laws. they are spiritual mechanisms. they are things that you turn keys into and things open up. Now, chapter 16, it says again, now they just jump from the people murmuring, of course in the first few verses here, or the first 20 verses, we'll read all of it. It says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after they'd left the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Well, that's not the truth, is it? Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from the heavens for you. The people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may prove them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, they shall prepare to bring in twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your murmurings against the Lord, not against them. For what are we that you murmur against us? Verse 8, and Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full. Because the Lord has heard your grumblings, which you murmur against him. What are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the murmurings of the Israelites. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and between two evenings you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the camp. And when the dew had gone, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a fine, round, and flake-like thing, as fine as hoarfrost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, manna, which means, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded, let every man... Every man gather of it as much as he will need, an omer for each person. According to the number of your persons, take it every man for those in his tent. And people did so, the people did so, and gathered some more, some less. When they measured it with an omer, he who gathered much had nothing over, he who gathered little had no lack. Each gathered according to his need. Moses said, Let none of it be left until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some of them left it until morning, and it bred worms. It became foul, and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. And we're going to look back to the outline now. Like I said, we're going to be coming back and forth. This may not be as super inspirational or whatever and what the other one was or whatever, but I want you to listen. Because of the people's needs, God brings quail and rains food from heaven to sustain them. Verse 4 tells us that God offers them this provision to prove them whether or not they will walk in his law or not. Point 1. Again, don't turn off because of how obvious this is. We need to hear it over and over again. If you're, again, there's no way you can escape. There's just, you will not succeed. I'm sorry. You will not succeed and staying steadfast in prayer or anything else until you discipline yourself to a daily ingestion of God's Word. You just won't. Because again, like we said, the Bible speaks about how we let the promises of God slip. The analogies there, when you look them up in commentaries or lexicons, the Word where it says, let us fear lest we let these promises slip. They give two little meanings. One is snow on the side of a rock. It speaks of how one The heat begins to come and things warm up, how suddenly the snow will begin to slide until it just slides off the rock. The second one is always of a leaking vessel, something that just begins to leak. And basically what it speaks to is that every single one of us are leaking vessels. Now, this is why even about the Holy Spirit, some people say, you know, much less the argument about once saved, always saved, there's an argument about once filled, always filled. Because the Bible says be ever in the process of being filled with the Spirit. Some people think because they speak in tongues that they're filled with the Spirit. No, you've been baptized with the Spirit. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking with other tongues. But you have to choose to be ever in the process of being filled with the Spirit of God. That's why, again, praying in tongues and seeking the face of God on a daily basis is, again, what keeps you filled. You have to stay filled because whether you realize it or not, the pressure of this world does two things. It heats up the circumstances. The circumstances cause pressure that will cause that snow to slide off that rock, which is Christ. And the other thing is that all of us have, like I said, we have areas of our life, because none of us are perfect, where these things leak out. The pressures of this world come and they begin to push aside that which we said we believed or our faith in the place in the things of God. And so again, you don't even, you know, it's like the old story when in Mark 4 again when we teach on seed, And we talk about a garden remember how we say it how many of you have ever gone out and had to buy at a diy store or a garden shop how many of you have ever had to go out and buy a packet of weed seed (laughs) anybody ever had to go buy a packet of weed seed to have weeds in your garden you don't because they just show up don't they they travel on the air or birds the things they eat they drop this stuff you know they brought drop the seed of it where they fly the birds of the air air carry the, birds of the air carry this stuff around, or you'll see those little puffy bits of pollen and stuff floating through the air. I mean that stuff, the spores of that stuff, weeds just come. Well, so it is in the human life in the human spirit. You you don't have to try to get soiled if you stay out there long enough. You go through a day, one day walking through London will teach you that. You come back and you can feel. Greasy on your face, and you know what I'm trying to say? You just because that's what's in the air, you don't intentionally go for it, look for it. I try, and I'll have some of that, if you know. It. it just comes because it's in the atmosphere. Well, again, see, the things that are in the atmosphere spiritually are there, whether you like it or not. And that's why, again, over and over again, I quote John 15 Jesus said, Now, now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So I've told people forever, you need to take a word bath every single day of your life. You may not think you have dirt on you, but trust me, you have dirt on you. I mean, you do. Uh, I know I'm a man, believe it or not, and I shouldn't divulge this horrific secret. But my wife, in a very conciliatory mood one day, wanted to give me a facial. I said, honey, I'm a man. I don't think I want to have a facial. I didn't know what a facial was, really. I mean, sorry, I'm dumb. But, you know, I thought my face was pretty clean. All I'm trying to say is you ladies are probably very familiar with this, but she took all this astringent, whatever stuff she did, (laughs) you know, and, and I'm going, my God, you know, that stuff was on my skin. You know, and she goes, yeah, you know, anyhow, I'm trying to say, you don't know what's there, but when you apply the right stuff, you see what's there. God's word is a cleansing agent that's beyond the scope of anything else there is on earth, and you may not know what's on you, But God knows what's on you. All I know is this. This is why we, every day of our life, we put ourselves in this. And we we go through this. And we let this stuff begin to cleanse us. And when I was director of the Bible school, like I said, students, they're always talking about, well, it's hard for me to do it because I don't feel anything. I read the Bible. I don't feel anything. I don't feel any inspiration. I don't, you know, over and over again. And I'm used to hearing that. And I, I just look at them and say, listen, most of the time I said, I don't feel something. Especially when I first started, I don't sit here and open this up and fireworks shoots out at me, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But I said that's not the issue. I simply believe. Uh, You know, that's what it says to do. I believe it's not. You have to get. This is why we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't walk by our feelings. I just know that it's important for me every day of my life to get into this book. Every morning, every night. That's all it says to do. So I'm just trying to do what it says, and it begins to do what, it, what he said it would do because God said my word will never return unto, my, unto me void. It will produce, hallelujah, God's word will produce from what he sends it to do. So again, I wish there was some way I could make it far more beautiful, but the fact is daily provision is what God was trying to communicate to all of Israel there with the, this principle of manna. He said, every man of you shall go out and collect this every single day, except on the sixth day, he said, and we'll get to that in a moment. And the sixth day, you shall gather twice as much, he said, because you're not going to gather any on the seventh day. And here again is the big issue of faith and trust. Will you trust me that I can handle the seventh day? Will you trust me that I can provide for you? And again, if you'll do what you need to do on the sixth day, and I want to tell you something. Even that, see, to me, there's so many parallels as far as end times because, you know, like, again, you're relating to something we taught before, remember the Bible teaches only teaches a 7,000-year economy with God. The first 2,000 years, second 2,000, third 2,000. Then the seven, year, the seven years that are left of Israel's history to be played out in what we call the tribulation period, but then we go into the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. So the Bible only really teaches a 7,000-year economy. Six days they were to gather, but on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much. And see, we're there. That means our right now, we need to ingest twice as much than, as we ever have in times past. We are a generation unlike any of the other days. Do You hear what I'm trying to say? We're not the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day. We're the sixth day. Do you hear me? We're the sixth day. And we're supposed to be gathering twice as much as any of the other ages ever did because of what's about to happen. Hallelujah. Seriously, and somehow we need to get to that. We need to understand that. This is why, you know, God's doubling up on His efforts, you know, to, to get us involved in all this uh, teaching and get us involved in prayer and to a far greater extent. A lot of people don't see that, but see, we're, in this, we're the sixth day. We're the ones that are supposed to be getting the double measure out there. Hallelujah. Daily provision is a constant scene throughout. The word of God. It has always been God's desire that we demonstrate before him our daily dependence upon him. Every man had to gather his own. Today's portion was not to be considered that which would meet tomorrow's need. Did you hear me? Today's portion was not to be considered that which would meet tomorrow's need. That's what God said. Now here, Joshua 1, you guys all know it, but I'll quote it anyhow. Again, we read it, I think, the other day. Joshua 1.8 is where he, Joshua, remember, is taking over after Moses. And he said, two scriptures before it and one scripture after it, he said, be strong, be of good courage and to do all these things. For this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate, thou shalt meditate therein, day and night, so that thou mightest observe to do. You meditate so that you might observe to do. You will never be a doer of the word until you're a meditator of it. You meditate so that you might be a doer of the word, that you might observe to do all that is written there. And for then you, not me, not your pastor, but then you will make your own life successful and you will deal wisely in the affairs of this life. In Psalm 1, I don't know if I just read, I think I did, but I'm going to read it again anyhow. This Psalm 1. Same thing exactly. The psalmist here, the very first psalm, the very first book of songs that Israel sang. The first four or five verses here. It says, blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly. Did you hear me? Did you hear that? Did you hear God? Don't follow the advice and the counsel of ungodly people following their advice and their plans and purposes, nor stand, don't be somebody who stands, it says, submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk. Nor don't be somebody who sits down to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. But his delight... The person that will be blessed. His delight and his desire are in the law of the Lord and on his law, the precepts, the instructions, the teachings of God. He habitually meditates and ponders day and night. And he, this person who does that, verse 3, shall be like a tree. He'll be like a tree. It doesn't say instantaneous overnight, it means you're going to grow. He should be like a tree that's firmly planted and tended by the streams of water ready to bring forth its fruit in its season, its leaf also shall not fade or wither. Listen, and everything this person does shall prosper and come to maturity. Well, that's a pretty fair to midland promise. Everything he does shall prosper. That's point three. Now then point C in the outline. Let's read, go back to Exodus, and let me get to this, this point now. So that's, again, daily provision. Moses is being taught. The people of God are being taught. You are to go out and daily, daily, daily get what you need. Our spiritual food is something we have to gather daily. I mean, you don't have to, but really here, it's the oldest of teachings. Today's manna will not take care of my tomorrow. That's why when you don't get something when you try to rely on yesterday's food, yesterday's manna, you're weary. You get wearied quicker than normal, you get tired quicker than normal, you get frustrated, you get irritated, you get upset, whatever. It's because your spirit isn't being fed. Therefore, your flesh will have more power than your spirit. You'll be more cognizant, you'll be more aware, your flesh will speak louder to you than your spirit. Now, again, you know, I had to get this through my head. Always remember, you guys, uh, that there's none of us that haven't had to walk this walk. And I'm no different than you. Like, my teacher's no different from me. I mean, you know, like I said at t- last hour when I was at Teen Challenge or what have you, before, before when we were talking before, we started that, first, that last session, you know, I know what it's like to have your flesh, you know, everything about your life is controlled by your flesh. I don't feel like doing this. I don't want to do that. And you just, this is why I, you know, thank God, like I said, I was, I was put in a position where I had to. I'm writing this article right now for a group in the States. I'm calling it Tough Love. And uh, I'm just talking about, you know, if, do, let me ask you a question. If, 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 if a loved one If you discovered suddenly that a loved one had a a, a horrific disease or, I don't know, had been run down by a car or something, when you took them to the hospital and the doctors took them, forced them into a bed, maybe had to put restraints on their arms, invaded their body with an IV, with an intravenous, you know, and put that IV in there, put something over their face and said, they're staying here for three weeks. Would you think that that doctor had a control problem? You hear where I'm going. Do you think that doctor would have a control problem or would you be trusting that just maybe he's trying to save this person's life and he has some skills, some expertise that you don't have and the situation demands uh, that a doctor care for the guy. And so the human body is put into a place where he can't run where a doctor's going to give it some medicine, invade the body by surgery even, or invade the body with intravenous injections or whatever. But I mean, this is gonna happen because you know that if they don't go, they could die, and you don't want them to die. Anybody ever been in that position? You know, we, I have, and I'm sure you have, I mean, with others or what have you. But think about this, you, don't, you just trust the doctor again. You don't think. I mean, if, there, if it's a life-threatening situation, you don't accuse the doctor or the surgeon as being a control freak. Do you? Really? I mean, it doesn't even cross your mind. You have to understand what I'm trying to get at here. There are people in the body of Christ that are critically ill, that are in, have chronic situations that are going on in their life, and some of them need a spiritual doctor that will take them and tie them down and say, you're not going anywhere for five or six weeks or nine months, like I used to do. We'd have them for nine months in school. You're not going anywhere for nine months. I'm going to put restraints on your arms, restraints on your legs. I'm going to force feed you what your body needs, what your spiritual body needs for you to live. Now, if I did that today, I would be accused of control, wouldn't I? But the fact is, some people, to save their life, it would be wonderful if we could do that. Financially, now watch this one. This will really upset you. I'm wondering how they're going to receive this. I'm only going to give you a little test. Some of you need somebody to force you into a position where your finances get under control. What would you do if a pastor loved you enough and they saw that you had a spiritual situation, a financial situation is bad enough that they say, from this point forward for the next year, you're not receiving one check from your work. Every check you get is coming to me, to this church. I will let you have your money, but 10% is automatically going to be debited into the church as a tithe. I'm going to force you into a situation where the tithe is coming. Then I'm going to force at least another 5% out of you that's going to go to an offering. You can choose where, but I'm making sure it's going there. Now, you know if we did that, Well, people would go flat nuts. They'd call you a cult and everything else. Wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? And you say, well, that wouldn't do any good because after all, it's not an offering to the heart. Let me tell you something. It's amazing when you begin to see what medicine does, how quickly you'll allow the medicine to continue. And a lot of people are in critically... They're spiritually ill, they're critically ill, they're in chronic situations, and uh, like I said, shepherding and control is never right, but discipleship is often extremely right. And yeah, it's abused often, but I'm trying to say, there's a lot of people that will suffer for the rest of their lives because they won't put themselves in a hospital spiritually where somebody knows what to do. They won't yield themselves to the knife, to the sword of the Spirit, they won't yield themselves to the medicine that's going to actually bring health because they want control. But if they keep control, they'll die. I just thought I'd let you know that. Like I said, I know churches in the States where it's incredible where you, to be a member of the church, you sign a covenant. It's not, it's not a request. They make sure. Membership. You don't have to become a member, but if you become a member... You sign a document and 10% of your check goes straight to the church right from where you work, period, full stop. Because membership requires that you tithe. And it's not a church trying to control them. It's a church saying this is one of the commandments of the Lord, but you ought to see how blessed the church is and the people. Right now, what happens is after five, they say, this guy said normally it happens after just like two years, but after two years, people can opt out, as it were, and almost all of them do because they've got a discipline now because their life is so blessed. The church, this church, over 96% of the church tithes faithfully, over 10% of their income that have been involved in it because they've seen what happens. They know, they, they, but they had to be put in a position where they saw what happened. Oh, well. So you don't like that, do you? But the fact of the matter is, no matter how many people might abuse that situation... You hear what I'm saying. Anyhow, I know you do. You can sit out there and look holy at me. But I know that your spirits know what I'm talking about is true. You and I all know people that are on the chronic list and the critical list spiritually. With their finances, with their physical health, with their life, with their relationships or what have you. And if God would have his way, he would bring you to a place where you were hospitalized. And put under the control of some doctors and surgeons that knew how to save your life. But because we're free will agents, free moral agents, you know, it's very difficult to find yourself in a position where you do that. And if you did, like I said, your whole family would think you were in a cult. Don't worry, I'm not signing you up for anything. All right, I'm just trying to make a point here about some tough love, like because when I had to work with all those guys, like I said, drug addicts, prostitutes, pimps, dope fiends, and what have you. These guys had never learned in their life. They had no discipline. They didn't know how to say no to zip. And so we had to do something for them. We had to get them into an environment where they could at least have, you know, their life controlled for them until they were able to control it themselves. That's what happened to me. I got discipled. And I'm just saying, so whether it's reading the Word of God or whatever, you see, this is what, like Mike Murdoch has a little saying in one of his books. He said, Will it take a tragedy for you to change your habits? Will it take a tragedy? See, it's not God's will that tragedy come into a person's life, but in some cases, people never change their habits until some tragedy occurs. And I'm just saying, you and I get to, anytime we want to, make the habit of becoming a student of this Word. Just a daily, daily diet of God's Word. Just start doing it. You you can talk it, but you've got to show it you got to show it. I'm dependent. Here I am. Okay, God, here I come. Again, I've got my Bible. I've got eyes. I've got a mouth. I'm going to read this thing. And I'm trusting you to help me understand it. But you know what, Lord? If I don't feel anything for the next 15 minutes, I don't care because I'm doing what you asked me to do. I'm reading the Word. I'm meditating in this Word. And that's what you do. You just start. and You just do it. And like I said, it's like an onion. It starts to layer as you begin to put the word in your heart. You know, lay hold of this word, wherein is wherein is eternal life. It begins to layer, and you don't even realize it, but the changes begin to come. Now let's move on from Exodus 16 verses 23 through 30. Exodus 16:20. So we finished off there in verse. It says in verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some of them left it until morning, and it bred worms; it became foul, and it stank. And Moses was angry with him. Verse 21, they gathered it every morning, each as much as he needed, for when the sun became hot, it melted. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each person. And all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses. He said to them, now listen, this is the next part I want to get to as far as an intercessor. An intercessor has to know about the daily provision. That's just obvious. But this is a critical as well. And it may sound very simplistic, but you have to grab this one as well. It's the principle of Sabbath. He said to them, The Lord has said, Tomorrow is a solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake and boil what you will bake and boil today, and all that remains over put aside for you to keep until morning. They laid it aside till morning, as Moses told them, and it did not become foul, neither was it wormy. Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you shall find none in the field." Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there shall be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you people refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day the bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called the bread manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and it tasted like wafers made with honey. Okay? Now The word Sabbath, down here in the outline, point C. The Lord institutes to the people the principle of Sabbath. The word Sabbath literally means to cease, desist, to interrupt, to intercept. It means intermission. Point two, intercessors must hold fast. To the concept of Sabbath. While passion is vital, being driven is dangerous. Subtle messianic complexes can be developed where you fail to remember that God has many in the city. Now, I spoke to this at points before, but I want you to turn, that it's not on the outline, but I want you to turn to a couple of turn to Leviticus chapter 26 real quickly. I want you to see, we're going to go there real quickly and go to Jeremiah. I want you to see really what God says about the Sabbath because I want you to understand how important it is. Sabbath is basically a time to trust the Lord. Say this with me. Sabbath is a time to trust the Lord. Sabbath. What that means is you don't do anything on Sabbath because you actually are declaring and you're showing your dependence and your faith that whatever I've done yesterday is okay for today when it comes to Sabbath. See, it's the sixth day and I've done what he said to do. I've gathered twice as much and it's okay for me to rest today. And you have to know it's okay for you to rest. And when it comes to prayer, again, I'm repeating myself, but sometimes you get so involved in a project of prayer, like I've, you've heard me say, when when a spirit of intercession or whatever we want to call it really does come upon you, it's something, remember, you've heard me say you wake up with, you go to bed with, you'd love to escape, but you can't, it's just on you. But even in the midst of all that, God will always, because it's an eternal principle, God will always have you stop and have a place of rest. And you have to be able to because, quite frankly, you're no good if you're weary. Because when you're weary, as we'll get to in Amalek if we get to it, that's when hell attacks you. Hell always attacks you when you're weary and faint. So we allow ourselves to get weary and faint because we disavow the whole principle of Sabbath that God institutes. That while we don't, uh, while we don't you know, celebrate it legalistically today, the principle remains the same eternally. You have to understand that it's okay for you to have a life. Now, you've heard me tell you about Cindy one day when Cindy was down in Pasadena. Cindy Jacobs, when she was speaking down there years back. And because uh, we've known her for so long, you know, we were... We were uh, in in california in bakersfield the, little, the town i was from where we have that little house and cindy heard that we were in town so she called up and said hey you guys you're, you know you're, we're, i'm just down here doing this conference why don't you come down and spend the day with me so we went down and we went up to their hotel room just sitting with their night and, and cindy you know i've known cindy for 25 years and and you know I, like i said knew cindy before she was cindy if you know what i mean back then. she used to play piano for me at her church in cleveland texas And uh, and I mean at that church she went to that she would play piano and you know before and then I'd get up and I'd teach, but Cindy sat me down one day. and She said, "Rod, she said, the Lord's actually the Lord's given me a word for you. You know how it is when you're friends sometimes you joke, but this she says, no, no, I want you to listen, Rod. She said, God's actually God's given me a word for you that you seriously need to listen to." I said, "Well, what?" And I'm just sitting there and Julie and I are sitting on the bed and she's sitting in a little chair. And she says, and she leans over and she said, Rod, I've known you for 20 some years. And she said, I've watched all this, but she said, I was just, you came up in my spirit after I'd called you, and I heard the Lord say this to me, and he wants me to say this to you. Rod, it's okay for you to have a life. I want to tell you something the anointing of God was on it. What I mean is because sometimes you're ministry, 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 people, 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 people. Demands, 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 demands. You know, phones are, you know, you have to understand when you're in ministry, the phones go. That's why you, after a while you actually do decide to move your phone number over here. Because it's constant. I mean, I would be out at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, 2 in the morning, constantly in the early days, all the time, because I had this feeling, well, if people, you know, they believe in me, and they, they trust me, and so if they need me, I'm going to go to them. That's just, and you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's kind of admirable. But, but, taken to an extreme, it gets into sin. Because all of a sudden, you don't realize there's other people. And people must, they don't need to develop their faith in a man. They need to develop their faith in God. And But sometimes I was so busy running to people to help them and their needs that people, I was doing them a disservice. And, and it wasn't like I had what it took to meet all their needs anyhow because there's only one person who can meet your needs and that's God. Mm-hmm. But Cindy sat there and said that to me. She said, Rod, it's okay for you to have a life. And I just felt this wave go over me and I went, you mean it's okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like, it's okay. I can go to a show. I can have a break. And even there's 35 other pastors will look at you and go, you did What? You know, but I'm just saying Sabbath is critical. You have to understand it because you can get driven, and driven is never God. Motivated is one thing. Driven is something else. Demons drive. The Spirit of God leads. That's something I was taught when I was first saved. Demons drive. If you're driven, it's not God. And another thing, too, the whole issue about what Jesus Christ said. Jesus Christ said, well, I mean, well, when he talked about burdens, remember? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and for my burden is what? Light. Look at some of the people that are around, and, and what they tell you is, well, this is the burden the Lord gave me. This is the burden, this is the burden the Lord gave me, and their burden, man, is. I mean, you know, and they're about to die. And, and when you tell them, well, Jesus said, if it's from me, it's light. Well, then, if you're doing this, somebody's screwed up somewhere. Somebody's making a mistake. Seriously. Because his burden is easy. His burden is light. In fact, I could show you verses in Jeremiah. It says that you shall no longer say the Lord's burden. It's a, it's a sin to say the Lord's burden. But it's traditionalized today. Where, well, the burden of the Lord on my life. In fact, people say, so what's the burden the Lord gave you? People ask me that. And I go, I just... It's, it's, You see, it's so subtle, you get trapped in the saying, Well, it's the burden of the Lord I carry. And this sounds so religious and so pious. This is the burden the Lord gave me. In other words, give me some attention, quick. Moving right along. Leviticus 26. I'm starting right in the middle of something, but I want you to see, this is God talking about, now again, this is Old Testament, we're not under this. But I want you to see the principle about when people went against the laws of God. It said in verse 25, and I will bring a sword upon you. and it, well, Okay. 23, if by these means you are not turned to me, but you determine to walk contrary to me, I will also walk contrary to you. Therein is a big lesson. If you, if you continue to choose to walk contrary to God, you put God in a position where he has to walk contrary to you, it says. And he says, I'll bring, verse 25, I'll bring a sword upon you This shall execute the vengeance for breaking of the covenant. You shall be gathered together within your cities, and I will send pestilence among you, and so on. Verse 26, when I break your staff of bread, cut off your supply of food. Ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. They shall ration your bread, deliver it again by weight. You shall eat and not be satisfied. Verse 27, and if in spite of all this you will not listen and give heed to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in wrath, and I will also chasten you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and your daughters. And I will destroy your places devoted to idolatrous worship. Cut down your sun images. Throw your dead bodies upon the wrecked bodies of your idols. And my soul shall abhor you with deep and unutterable loathing. I will lay your cities waste. Aren't you glad we're not under this right now? I will lay your cities waste. Bring your sanctuaries to desolation. I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet and soothing odors of offerings made by fire. Yes, I'm talking very fast, but it's for a reason. And verse 34, well, verse 32, oh, shoot, I'll just read it. And verse 32, and I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. Verse 33, I will scatter you among the nations, draw out your enemies, sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Now, you know, if you were to read all of this, you know why all this is happening? Well, verse 34 refers to it, but you need to study the whole chapter. Then shall the land of Israel Verse 34, then shall the land of Israel have the opportunity to enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you're in the enemy's land. Then shall the land rest to enjoy and receive payments for its Sabbaths that were divinely ordained for it. Verse 35, as long as it lies desolate and waste, it shall have rest. The rest it did not have in your Sabbaths when you dwelt upon it. I want you to hear what happened. Now, I don't have time then to go to it, but mark down this. Mark down 2 Chronicles chapter 36. It's the last chapter of 2 Chronicles chapter 36, starting at verse 12, and you'll read all the way through 21. And you'll see what happened in the land in the Babylon. Remember when Jeremiah, the 70 years, you've heard me refer to it, but this is where it actually shows it. It's 2 Chronicles 26, and also in Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 13 through 17. Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 13 through 17 is where God speaks categorically about how Israel went into bondage for 70 70 years at that point. When Israel was in bondage, each time, whether it was into Babylon or what have you, or to Assyria, each time they went into bondage, it was because they had not allowed the land its Sabbaths. And so God brought them into bondage guaranteeing that the land would receive its Sabbaths. In other words, they missed seven Sabbaths. So seven times seven is 49. So they went for 50 years into bondage because God said the land will have its payment. You need to hear that. The land will have its payment. You didn't allow it to have Sabbath, so I'm going to put you in a position where it has to. I'm telling you, today in whatever we work at, now don't get confused. Like I said, it's an Old Testament thing. We're in a new covenant. But the principle of Sabbath remains the same. The Sabbaths are holy unto God. They're sacred. They're eternal. What I'm trying to say is this. You and I need to understand God's desire for us to have a moment of rest once in a while. I didn't say lazy. I said rest. You need to be aware that if you find yourself in a position where you're driven, you're under the control of demons, not the control of God. You have to understand Sabbath is a place where you prove your trust in God. I can actually take a break and all heaven won't be silenced because the plan of God is not that dependent upon me. I hate to shake you up, but heaven will continue to rock and roll without you. It really will. But nevertheless, you see, this is what I mean. So when we, if if we get into a position of being driven, it's just showing to God, you don't trust me. I need you to rest. I need you to also understand that when you're not praying, there'll be some others that'll pray. I have many in the city. You know, it's not solely dependent upon you. Remember, it's upon me. But again, you have to understand, this is what I mean, how subtly you can... You can get a messianic complex. If I don't do it, no one will do it. If I don't do it, nobody will do it. If I don't do it, nobody will do it. There's a balance in all of it. Like I said, you're to be motivated. You hear me? You're to be motivated. And God's passion is is something to be enjoyed and, and to be nurtured. But I'm just saying at the same time, see, God knows who you are. And he knows that you need a life. Always remember, God loves you. And God's love for you means he wants to show himself alive to you. He wants you to be blessed. So all in the name of I'm going to change the city. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change this nation. I'm going to change parliament. I'm going to change everything. I'm a changer. You know what I mean? You know, know, that's cool. But then you need to go back and go. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we trust, again, that you're just helping us. Help us to walk through these scriptures for ourselves. Help us to see, again, the absolute need for daily dependence upon you. And help us to really understand, even as I said in passing, that we're the 6th day church. We're going to gather twice as much, twice as much. Amen. And help us, Father, to reverence the need for Sabbath in our own lives. So that we can be used of you for the long haul, not just a short run. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.